Well, good morning. How many of you brought the Word with you today in some kind of fashion? We're going to read from the Word. We're going to turn in Joshua. Joshua chapter 4. It's the sixth book of the Bible. It's after Deuteronomy and before, well, Judges. So uh, if you need to navigate that your way around there, it's on page 210 of my Bible. That's not going to do you any good. Um, but uh, how many of you are into, into rocks? How many geologists we have in here? Oh, a couple? None. That's disappointing. Well, as you can see, we're, we're surrounded by rocks today, right? Oh, this kind of rock. School of rock. I got it. Um, we're surrounded by rocks today. Do you collect rocks? Obviously not. None of you said you were geologists, right? I collect rocks. You know why? From significant times that I have had in my life, youth trips. I've been doing youth trips for 30-plus years, right? So got a lot of opportunities to pick up some rocks along the way. Uh, but out of rivers, out of tubing, out, out of different kinds of places, there are several on my desk at work, and I write on the bottom of them. This is where I was when I did this, right? And it's also, I'm not kidding you, the cheapest souvenir that you can have <laughs> from some kind of thing that you go on. But rocks mean a lot to me. And it's kind of like expressed in this passage, Joshua chapter 4. It's a good reminder because we're very forgetful people. Uh, so we're going to read together. I'm going to read out loud. You read and follow along. In chapter 3, the Israelites, who I'm very partial to because of my namesake, crosses the Jordan. All right? This is the lesser known, by the way, crossing <laughs> of water, right? And it's talked about in this passage. Let's go ahead and read. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and commanded them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and said to them, Go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift up a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them, the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant when it crossed the Jordan. The Jordan's waters were cut off Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. And the Israelites did just as Joshua had commanded them. The 12 men took stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The stones are there to this day. The priest carrying the ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until 
Everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people in keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people hurried across, and after everyone had finished crossing, the priest with the ark of the Lord crossed in the sight of the people. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh went in battle formation in front of the Israelites as Moses had instructed them. About 40,000 equipped uh, for war crossed in the plains of Jericho in the Lord's presence. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him throughout his life as they had revered Moses. The Lord told Joshua, command the priest who carry the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up from the Jordan. When the priest carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan and their feet stepped out on solid ground, the waters of the Jordan resumed their course, flowing over all the banks as before. The people came up from Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Joshua chapter 4. May God bless the reading of his word. Hopefully you left your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 4, and if you didn't, go ahead and flip there now. Uh, we're going to unpack that passage just a little bit this morning as we talk about uh, the fact that remembering rocks. This begins a new series for us that will last over the next four weeks um, that will take us through Easter, and uh, along the way we're going to be talking about how strong and reliable and hard are all words that describe rocks, but if you drill down just a little bit deeper, you'll also find the word is rich in minerals and metaphors and movement that are wrapped around it. And believe it or not, in God's word, if you take the time and slow down long enough to think about it, rocks play an important role in the biblical narrative. And there are a number of references to rocks that you find in various passages and various stories and various moments in scripture that add meaning to those moments. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking that just a little bit. Richard has already read the passage to you this morning. Um, and we have taken a look at, at how some stones that were stacked up um, had some meaning for not only the children of Israel, but also uh, for us today as we talk about this. And so that's kind of the idea behind this series. And so this week we talk about remembering rocks. Next week, the real creative title, Easter Rocks, uh, is going to be what we're talking about. But that's where we're going to be, and that's where we're going to go. Uh, somebody asked me this morning, they know I went to WrestleMania uh, as it was here in Orlando, and they said, so this was because The Rock is a big wrestler. You know, and you know, I said, no, I have titled the series, Can You Smell What The Rock Is Cooking? But that's not what we're calling it. This is entirely different, uh, different altogether. 
Um, to begin this morning, I want to tell you a story about a woman who went into a beauty shop one day to get her hair fixed. And he, he, her beautician was a woman who was always complaining, always grumpy, always saw the dark side of things. Um, and the customer said that she was planning on leaving for Rome uh, on a trip in the next few days. Uh, and the beautician said, Rome, Rome, why are you going to Rome? Rome is one of the dirtiest cities you could ever go to. Why waste your time? How are you going to get there? And the customer said, well, we're flying Continental Airlines. Continental Airlines. Ah, oh, that's the worst possible airline. Actually, Delta is right now, but that's a whole different story. Um, Continental Airlines, they are, uh, they're our disaster. And the flight attendants, ugly, homely, and rude. Where are you staying when you get to Rome? Well, the customer smiled. We're staying in the villa. Villa, villa, villa. That is so overrated. I can't even imagine why you were staying there. It's way too expensive. You get nothing for your money. What are you going to do when you're in Rome? Reluctantly, the customer said, well, we're planning on seeing the Pope. The Pope? Pope smoke. Come on. You will be lucky to even get close enough to think you're seeing the Pope. I hear tale that because there are so many people, they just put somebody in a hat and they come out on the balcony and it's not even the Pope. There are going to be so many people, you will never see the Pope. You won't get within a mile of the Pope. Well, a month goes by. And it's time to go back in. And, and I don't know why the person went to get a new beautician, but they went back because they've been doing their hair a long time. And so they began talking about uh, the trip that was. And the customer said, you know, I need to help my beautician break her bad habits. This is just getting so irritating to talk to her. And so the beautician remembered, um, you know, that she'd been gone. And so they kind of started the conversation. She'd only been back from Rome a short time. And the beautician says, well, Rome, I bet your flight was bad. And the customer says, no, no, the flight was great. They actually had overbooked the flight. And so they upgraded us to first class seating. Um, we ate steak all the way to Rome. And just so you know, our flight attendant was the most handsome guy I've ever seen and uh, was very attentive to our needs. Beautician was remembering back the previous conversation and said, well, what about the villa? Ah, funny you should ask, the customer said. When we got there, the villa had just completed a $5 million remodel, and um, they were overbooked. And so we were forced to stay in the owner's personal villa. The accommodations, the service, we had everything we wanted. We were treated like kings. The lady said, well, what about the Pope? The lady said, funny you should ask. We were taking our tour of the Vatican, and one of the guards tapped us on the shoulder and said, you know, from time to time, the Pope just likes to visit people that are coming through and taking a look. Would you like or would you be interested in a personal visit with the Pope? And the beautician said, well, what did you say? I said, well, we said, of course we would. Well, what happened? Well, they took us in to see the Pope. And the lady said, well, what did the Pope say? And the lady said, he took one look at me and said, that is the worst hairdo I have ever seen. Who does your hair? <laughs> We went a long way to get to that punchline, didn't we? <laughs> to roaming back, you know. Uh, but, but, but what a trip. I mean, a trip like that you would never forget, right? I mean, that's a trip. Um, but there are times when you need to remember the trips that you take. And the things that happen along the way make a trip or a journey more memorable. 
this is one of those times, this is one of those trips, this is one of those things that we look at. And so if you have your worship flyer, you can see where we're going this morning. Uh, I want to give you an entrance ramp, which is really background stuff that you need to know. And then uh, we're going to make three points, basically, out of this passage, three um, rocks, if you will, that you can collect this morning. But the entrance ramp is simply this, it's more memories. This is one of the more, uh, one of the climactic events in all biblical history, because the Israelites have waited now 40 years to get to this moment. And I think that sometimes we forget what 40 years is like. Some of you in the room have lived 40 years, and so you know what 40 years is like. It's a lifetime. But it's been 40 years since they've left, and they've started moving toward the promised land. And it's a prominent moment as they have come across the riverbed of Jordan. Um, behind them, they have left a life of slavery. Uh, they have left a life where they've been meandering about in the wilderness, we know the story, we know the background story because of their disobedience, because of their unwillingness to trust God. Can you imagine these millions of people who have traveled together, can you imagine waiting for an entire generation to die off? There have been countless, endless funerals that have taken place. And I don't know if you ever tried to get there me mentally to understand what was going on, but among millions of people, uh, millions of people, I mean, what would happen is that, that someone would pass away and they would have a funeral. Well, everyone wouldn't be at the funeral. Everyone wouldn't know that that person had passed away. It would only be later when they reconnected through some place or they were taking the journey that they found out that someone else had passed away. And it's literally a generation of people that are dying off. Um, and those experiences are now behind them before they get to this moment. This is a new chapter. It's something that is brand new that they had waited a long time, a lifetime, literally a lifetime to get to. And they find themselves bringing all of those moments into some new moments, ready to make some new memories, ready to let their hope and imagination run wild and discover all that God had for them. It was the fulfillment of a promise that God had made first to Abraham that had taken years and years to unfold, to unpack, to discover, and here they are. And when they got there, they found out that the Jordan was above flood stage when they got there. And so just before they go, once again, God has intervened and he's done the miraculous. And as Richard read the passage to you, you heard what happened. God rolls back the waters of it so they can cross it on dry land, very reminiscent of, the, of their leaving Egypt years before when God had to part the sea so they could get away from Pharaoh. And so once again, they're moving in and God has done the miraculous. And so there are shouts of joy. There are songs. I mean, this is a celebration. This is a big day, a big day. More memories to add to the memories that God has already made for them, a lot of things that are going on, um, and then they would ultimately stack some stones to remember the day. But I want you to know that you sit here this morning, and you bring with you a lifetime of memories to this moment, this moment. In this worship event this morning, you come from different walks of life, you come from different places, but all of you have come, and you've seen some good things and some not so good things. There's been some moments of joy and some moments of sadness. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has taken all those moments and he has rolled them up in you and made them a part. That is now a part of who you are. And you begin this day, this day, with the opportunity to move forward. You can't ever turn back the clock, but you can wind it back up again. And so we're looking today at winding that clock back up in our lives and thinking about what God has for us as we remember and we move forward. And this is a passage where God reminds us that it's good to remember what he's done. It's good to celebrate what he's done. Those are good moments to hold on to, but they're also not the end. It's just the beginning. And as they stack these rocks, you have to remember, it was a memorial to what was. 
to spark them into what will be in a new beginning. And so with that in mind, let's unpack three specific things about this passage um, that we can look at. You may have heard this story, but back in the late 1980s, some of you remember that, late 80s. Some of you don't, but some of you remember the late 1980s. If you've ever been to Washington, you've seen um, the Lincoln Memorial. In the 80s, it was discovered that the Lincoln Memorial was slowly deteriorating. Um, and part of the problem they discovered was because of water. Rainwater and water that was being used by the cleaning crews was just taking away and destroying the Lincoln Memorial. And they were scrubbing it every day, and it was ruining it. So then, as they discovered that that was the problem, someone asked the question, well, why are they cleaning the memorial so often? I mean, because if you're ruining it, why do you clean it so often? Well, because of the huge mess it was left every day by the sparrows and the starlings. In other words, it was bird poo. And so every day they would come in and clean it, but the cleaning so much was destroying it. Well, so why were there so many sparrows and starlings that were coming in to Lincoln Memorial? Well, that was because of the midges. Now, the midges are small-winged insects that breed in the muddy flats of the Potomac River, right there by the Lincoln Memorial. And what would happen is that at night, because it was illuminated so much, they were drawn in by that light, and they would smash into the limestone walls because they would just hit the walls. They don't know any better. And the protein residue was attracting the birds that were coming in. And the birds that were coming in were staying too long and making themselves at home on the president's statue. And as a result, there was a lot of cleaning to be done. And so the real problem with the Lincoln Memorial was not the fact that it was being destroyed by the water. The real problem was the midges. Little insects that you could barely see that you wouldn't think about was creating the crisis. But those little insects, those little things, were slowly eroding away the memorial and the, mon and the monument that was designed to help us remember the legacy of a president. Nobody gets up in the morning saying, you know, I'm going to let the little things of life creep in and undercut the things I ought to remember. No one gets up and starts the day by saying, I'm going to let little things just distract me so bad and, and, and ruin my life so much that I'm not going to remember the things I need to hold on to. No one starts a day by thinking that I'm going to let the little things get to me so much that I'm going to somehow forget the things that I ought to be remembering the important things. We don't start that way. But until you're willing to drill down and look real close and ask the real questions, that's exactly what happens. See, if I were to say to you in the room, shouldn't we always be grateful for the things of God? Everyone's going to say yes. If I were to say to you, shouldn't we remember how great God is and what he's done and shouldn't it change your life? We're all going to say yes. And then I'm going to say, well, and when we remember the things that God has done, shouldn't that inspire us to just keep following him and do more and more and, and never let go and never lose focus? And, and everyone's going to say yes. But the reality for most of us is that that's not the way it works. We forget. It's not on purpose. It's just that the little things, the midges, if you will, of life come sneaking in and before too long, we're so busy cleaning up the mess that they create that it begins to erode away the things that we should be remembering and undercuts what we're supposed to become and causes us to forget. 
And this is a passage where Joshua is being instructed by God to tell the people not to forget. And so the first thing I want you to notice in the passage is simply this. I want you to notice a God moment. It's a reminder to the people and to us that it's all about God. Because ultimately, when the people of Israel were done, these stones that they were stacking were going to leave a message and say, you know, God did this. We couldn't have gotten here without him. It wouldn't have happened without God. But look at Joshua 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, Choose twelve men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from the place in the middle of the Jordan where the priest's feet are standing. Carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. And so Joshua does exactly what he's told. Uh, he sends these twelve men back to the riverbed of the Jordan, and they bring back twelve stones. Stones that up to this point had been buried. I mean, and that's the significance of going out to the middle to get them where the priests are standing. Because these are stones that were inaccessible to them. But because the priests are there with the ark, the water's now rolled back. So these are now rocks that they can get to that they couldn't have gotten to before. So these memorial rocks become rocks that are only available to them simply because of who God is and what he's done. Simply because of how God has worked. They couldn't have gone down and dived for these rocks. They had to wait until the land was dry. And so they go and they get them. And this is a moment where they're reminded in picking up the rocks that this is a gift from God. This is the faith of God's people being obedient and trusting God to get them where they need to go. And now as a result, they can come back and take that souvenir, if you will. Take that memorial. Take that reminder. And so the 12 men hoisted the heavy stones up on their shoulders. They carried them across. And they were stacked as a sign an unmistakable sign that this was a place where God did something miraculous. And stones don't, don't, and they just don't stack up on their own. I mean, they just don't jump up into a pile. And so now the idea was we'll create a memorial that forever when people see it, they'll ask the question, how did this happen? Why are these here? And in verse 7, tell them the story, God says. The waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's waters were cut off. And therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. In other words, it is that time where for the children of Israel, this next chapter is about to unfold, and it's all about God. He does it as a gift to them, but it's about God coming through and making good on all of his promises. And so that's what the rocks are for. In your life, as you think back on your life, where you stand today, you stand today on the brink of a new week, a new Easter week, if you will. Think of all the places that God has brought you. Think of all the things that God has done. Think of all of those moments that you've crossed and made it to this point that if it weren't for the grace and the goodness of God, you never would have made it. As I said earlier, there are some good times and there are some bad times. There are some Happy times, there are some sad times, there are some struggle moments, there are some moments where it was just so easy and all you could do was celebrate. But in all of those moments, God has brought you to this moment and given you an opportunity to pause for just a minute in a story about how he provided for the children of Israel, to think about how he provides for you. And that's a challenge. Do you remember how he has provided for you? Because we are getting ready to celebrate our big party. Easter is coming up in just a few days. And as we celebrate the gift of God and what he has done and the sacrifice that he makes for us so that we can have life, 
one of the things that we have to slow down every once in a while and remember is that it is really all about him and what he has done for you. God brings them across and they set up this place where it becomes a memorial, but the memorial is to remind them that God has done something very special here and this is now God once again coming through and never breaking a promise. He never broke a promise then. He doesn't break a promise now. It wasn't so that the children of Israel and the generations to come would always be looking back. Notice that they built the memorial on the other side after they crossed and then the waters are going to close back up. This is about a new beginning. It's about stepping forward into the future. As I said, you can't turn back the clock, but you can wind it back up. And a lot of times we get stuck living in the past. We get stuck looking back over our shoulders. We get stuck looking at what has already happened. And sometimes we build our memorials there. And sometimes we build memorials where we shouldn't build memorials. You met people, I know I'm not talking about you, other people, who because of something that's happened in their past, they never get past it. They never get past the past. They constantly relive an event or a moment or a series of circumstances. And any time that anything happens, they always go back, and that's where they put the blame, that's where they put the focus, and that's where everything stays. And they live their life with what was. And they can't focus on what will be. They live their life on where they've been, not focused on where they're going. And sometimes... Whether they realize it or not, all they're trying to do is keep turning back the clock. If it was a good moment, what happens is you come away from it with a good memory, but you're disappointed because it's never going to be that good again. And if it was a bad moment, we use it as an excuse why we never can move beyond it. None of that has anything to do with this passage because this passage is about setting down a place so that you can remember the goodness of God that will anchor back when people ask, this, what happened here? Why are these here? This is where God has brought us. This is what God did. This is the day that God fulfilled the promise so that we could move into our future. That's what God moments are for in your life. That's what memorials and markers should be. That's how God wants us to live our life. Always moving forward. That's the first thing. A God moment. The second thing is, I want you to notice, a God ministry. A God ministry. Look at verses 20 and 24. See, Joshua told Israel that the stones would serve as a reminder that all the people of the earth would know that God's hand was with us and God is mighty and God is strong. But one of the things that we have to remember is that we exist to make him known. Our lives are to be living, breathing testimonies of who God is and what he's done. And so in verse 20 we read, then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should all tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters on the Jordan before you, before you until you crossed over, just as the Lord did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we'd crossed over. This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty. And you always fear the Lord your God. See, this is a moment where they remember that what is impossible melts away when it runs into the promises of God. Their existence, their survival, their journey to this point is an implausible outcome that only happens because God put his hand into it. And for us, 
not only do we have to remember that there is a God moment that happens back there, but we have a God purpose in our lives. And that we are here for a reason. We're here to be accomplishing something. We're here to touch and change the world with the love of Christ. We have a purpose that God has called us to, who he has gifted us for. And together, we are called to do something with him that we could never do or be without him. And so just as the children of Israel now are moving into a future, they have a purpose. And the purpose that they have is to claim this land, a land that will be theirs for generations to come, that God is going to continue to bless them and move them on a journey that started a long time ago, that took time to evolve. But now a new chapter was opening and they were beginning that chapter. Your life is full of new chapters. The story, no matter who you are, isn't written yet. It's not over yet. God knows the story. But for you, you're living out each day. And you are fulfilling who it is that you're created to be. And God loves you enough to give you a choice in how you're going to play that out. What he's done in the past has brought you to this moment. And this moment now starts a brand new chapter. You ever look at the changes of life and just go, man, I don't, I don't like those changes. Sure. Of course. Because with changes means that something's different. And so anybody that's ever, uh, ever lived life long enough, yeah, they look back and there's a lot of things that happen now that, that they can't do that they could do earlier, and they miss that, there's no doubt about it. But it also doesn't mean that your focus has to be back over your shoulder. It means that the best is yet to come. Now, if you're young, you don't have that much experience. You don't usually look back and say, ah, oh, I wish it could be the way it was when I was three. And if you do, well, I'm sorry. But, but there's, there's something about us, though, that we are a people that are always on the move, and there's a purpose to your life, and there's a purpose to your existence, and, and God is in the process of carrying you there. And that's a part of what's going on in this passage. Joshua has a group of people that he has inherited, and Joshua's one of the survivors. You remember his story, right? I mean, he was faithful. He and Caleb were faithful. And so they have watched a generation die off. They're the only ones that are left. They were there. And Joshua is now the leader of this group. He's taken this group of people that he has a long, long history. And Joshua and Caleb can remember what it was like to be a slave. They can remember what it was like on that day that Pharaoh's army was after them and they crossed the sea. They can remember what it was like to see the promised land for the first time only to come out and have ten others say, it's great, but we can't go. They dealt with the heartbreak and the heartache, along with Moses, as the people were disobedient and rebelled and turned against God. They were there. Joshua had been with Moses when he had been on the mountain talking with God. Joshua knew what, what, that, was, what that was like. And now here they are all these years later, and they get to the edge of the Jordan, and the floodplain is so high, and they have to get across, and there's no way across. And Joshua once again calls the people to do exactly what God said, and God tells them what to do, and Joshua watches for the second time as the water pulls back. And now as a seasoned leader who's done the time and has recognized how God works, can see God's hand in it still and is just as fresh and just as excited about going after the things that God has in front of them. I'm sure, and even though we don't have it in Scripture, I'm sure he and Caleb talked about that a lot. Because Joshua's reached in age, well, Caleb's the only guy who knew him when. 
It's probably his only friend that he had back in the day. They're the only ones that could share those memories. And at the same time, Joshua is now called and embraced the role that God has for him on this day, this new day, to do and become everything that he needs to become. And Caleb does as well. I mean, in another passage of Scripture, you love the story of Caleb at age 85. Who's wanting Joshua to give him the hill country. Hey, when you divide up, give me the hill country. Me and my folks, we're going to go up there and we can take that hill. Oh, there are giants up there, but we'll kick them off the hill. And at 85, is ready for a battle. Because there's no retirement here. There's no going backwards. There's no slowing down. It is simply that God has given me this day to live, to embrace, and I'm going to move forward and plow into it. And those rocks are a reminder of that. That God's not done. That there's purpose and there's meaning that you can only discover when you follow him. And the third thing that you see is a God momentum. A God momentum. Because here's what I know if you're going to follow God. You've got to change. You've got to change. If you're going to be a God follower, you've got to change. And if you do it right, each day you're going to become a little bit more like him. He's going to take you on a journey, and you will be different at the end of it than you were when you started. Look at verse 6. So this will be a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? And then in verse 21, and he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? The stones out of the Jordan marked the movement of God's people. It was another marker. And if you go back and look across the journey of where they went and where they came from, each stop along the way, you can go back and you can think of that moment, that encounter. And so now this is another one that they placed that marks the journey that they've been on. See, when you collect rocks, if you will, create memorials for your life, that's what you're doing. They're just markers. They're just mile markers of where you've been, what you've done. You ever been driving down an interstate? And we have the luxury of doing that here in this nation. And so I do this sometimes when I'm driving down someplace. And you see an exit and you look it off of the exit and you say, oh, I've traveled this road so many times. I've been there, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there. And you use that to say, I never want to go back there. <laughs> or maybe I want to go there again. Or you think about it. Or there's those places that you go when you're traveling and you just go, yeah, I know that coming up down the road, I'm going to go back there because I've been there before and it's a good place to be. And, you go, and it becomes a marker for you. And it becomes a marker where you remember where you've been and what you've done. And each highway has them, each town has them, each family that's ever traveled highways, they make those kind of places, or those, or those stops that, that you know, may not mean anything to anybody else, but they're just the markers of where they go and, and, and what they do. You know, my family used to travel up and down when I was a kid, up and down Interstate 75, and it wasn't always Interstate 75 when I started, it was 441, from Orlando to Crittenden, Kentucky. Okay, don't. Oh, Crittenden, Kentucky, it's a nice little place, come on. Okay, it's the sticks, but there's two or three of them. And, 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 and back in the day, you know, there were just places that we would just stop, you know, that, that it would just, you know, may not mean anything to anybody else, but that's just where we always stopped. We always had bologna sandwiches at Cove Lake. Amen. Uh, Cove Lake or bologna? Okay, bologna, yeah. I don't know if you've been to Cove Lake or not, but hey, man, for bologna, yeah. Uh, it's a... It's, uh, but I mean, that, that was just a stop that we made. And so, in traveling in the car, the question was always, how long until we get to Cove Lake? You know, I'd ask in Orlando. It was in Tennessee. Uh, but it was neither here nor there. It was, it was actually North Tennessee, right on the border of Kentucky. But you, you, you look for those places, and you look for those places along the way. Well, Joshua was able to look back and able to know that these are the places we've been. These are the things that we've done. 
This is how God has moved. And God has moved in such a way that he's brought us to this moment. The stones mark the movements of God among his people. And the stones were where God had brought them, not so they could keep looking backwards, but would serve as those mile markers that would help them know the progress they had made as they're continuing to move forward. In your life, that's what they are. In your life, that's how God works. In your life, that's how God does it. He tries to build momentum into your life. And so as God works and he moves, he calls you into more, more memories, uh, more moments, more ministry, and more momentum into the future that God has for us. There are things that people bury called time capsules um, that are interesting. And, and they're interesting if you've ever been around folks who have been there when they've opened them to see what people from the past wanted people in the future to remember. But there also are some interesting ones that people have buried that are yet to be opened. For example, the Billings, Montana Campfire Girls Adventure Group, Troop 23, has buried a time capsule that is to be opened in 2076, America's tricentennial. It contains a princess-style telephone. Anybody remember those? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, a digital watch. A box of bullets. That is one tough Girl Scout troop. <laughs> tapes, tapes of music and news programs. Which, by the way, you're still going to be able to open and eat because of the preservatives in it. Um, the Los Angeles Bicentennial Time Capsule is scheduled for a 2076 opening. And, and it's L.A., so it, it contains things that you would expect. Uh, a dress worn by Cher, a pet rock, a skateboard, Jerry West, number 44, Los Angeles Laker uniform, um, and other memorabilia. Um, but what's unique about this one is the capsule itself is a propellant tank that was designed for the Mariner 9 mission to Mars. And so they put it in there, and that was going to be open. Um, in 1964, Westinghouse buried a time capsule at the New York World's Fair. It's supposed to be opened in the year 6939. <laughs> By then, no one will be able to find it. Um, but um, it contains... An electronic watch, electronic toothbrush, and hundreds of other items that really are just dated newspaper pieces so that somebody in the future can remember the past. A time capsule. This morning, for you, the question I want to ask is, what have you put into the time capsule of your life that you need to remember that helps you move into the future? What is it you've done? Where have you been? What is it today that you brought with you that makes you who you are that will make your tomorrow the tomorrow it's supposed to be? Because when you think about it, remembering does rock. And it's good. 
But you have to decide to make sure that you're doing it in a way that honors God. And so your now what is simple. It's going to be the same now what that we use in various stages throughout the whole thing. Um, but it's done with a series of rocks. I mean, take a look over here. You've already heard me mention this a couple times. This one says memories. Now, it would have been real creative if I'd have picked up a real rock and done this. But that would have been too heavy. So, we use this. But memories. Each of you are the product of the moments that have brought you to this place, and you bring with you the memories. So, what do you do with your memories? Well, the memories that you have should make you better. They should make you wiser. They should make you stronger. They shouldn't have you always looking back over your shoulder, but they should inspire you to continue to be more and be that person that God has created you to be. As you're collecting rocks, one of the things I would ask you to collect this week as you think about it, what memories do you carry with you that make you a better version of you? And allow those things to be something that you thank God for and that you remember, but you allow those memories, memories not to make you melancholy, but to make you more. The second thing I would suggest is you go back and think about the moments, moments of your life. All of these moments that God has given you. And if you're here this morning, you have been given moments. You wouldn't have gotten here if you didn't have the moments. And so think back over your life. What are the moments that God has given you that he has blessed you, that you have seen his hand at work, that you've been able to remember what he's done? Moments where you saw him intervene in your life that had he not shown up, your life could have gone a radically different direction. Moments when you were desperate and you needed him the most and he came through. Moments when he just blessed you above and beyond and blessed your socks off and all you could do was say thanks. Those moments become more rocks that become part of that personal memorial that you set up to spur you on to bigger and better things. The third one, ministry. Ministry. And I put this one out here again, and we'll talk about this, but ministry is serving. Ministry is that part of it that sometimes we don't always remember. See, the children of Israel... They got in a lot of trouble, and their history is one that is marked, pockmarked with moments where they should have been more, but they weren't. When they should have done more, and they didn't. They should have learned their lessons, and they didn't. And their story, their saga is one where they seem to be going three steps backwards at times. To come back and make four steps forward, to go three more steps back. And the progress was slow. And so what you have to understand is that God has brought you where you are so that you can touch and change the world with his love, so that you can be who you were created to be so you can impact the world. See, God leaves you here in this thing called life, not to take up space. None of you are designed to take up space. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to make him known. We just had a meeting at 9 where we were unpacking what the egg hunt is going to look like this next weekend. And one of the things that we shared, and it was said a number of times, when someone asked, why do you do this? Because we love Jesus and we love you. And some of the most amazing conversations, if you'll have them, will take place in the context of an egg hunt with a family or with a group of people that just wonder, why would someone go to all the trouble to do this and offer this event for free? And ask nothing, nothing of me. See, because people have already figured out that the church is great at the bait and switch. The church does an event, and if you show up at the event, you owe them the opportunity to be heard. I don't believe that. I never have. That's one of the reasons we do the egg hunt the way we do. They don't owe us anything, but we earn the right to be heard. And when you are willing 
to take the time and look at how God has worked in your life, you earn the right to be heard and you earn the right to speak into the world of others. And you do that as you serve and you do ministry. God has left you here for a purpose. He's called you to a purpose. He's gifted you to a purpose. He's brought you to this moment for a purpose. The question that you have to ask in your life is, what is that purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And sometimes we want to make it out there one day, someday, in the great beyond. But how you're supposed to be serving him is like right now, this afternoon, wherever you go. The next moment, even before you leave here this morning, you might have the opportunity to impact somebody else. It's touching and changing the world of love of Christ. And so think about how God has used you in the past and think about how God wants to use you today and talk that up as a win and remember it. Collect that as a rock that goes into that display of your life that makes up something that you need to remember about how he's worked and what he's done. And then the last piece. Momentum. Momentum. Most of you have heard me say this before, and it's true. The call of God is always a call forward. God doesn't call us to retreat. He doesn't call us to move backwards. He doesn't call us to relive the things of the past. And that's not what the passage is about. The passage is about moving into the future. In your life, God does what he does so that you will have the momentum to move forward into a future that only he could script for you. And your life is to be about momentum, always moving forward. And as we head toward an Easter week, that's important to remember because God is at work and he's at work within you, he's at work within me and with us as a body. The best is yet to come. And again, the good old days weren't always good. I've quoted the prophet Joel so many times, I hate to do it again, but I will. The good old days weren't always good, but tomorrow's not as bad as it seems. That's the prophet Billy Joel. And in and, and and, and that, and that moment, we're reminded again that God still has something that he's called us to do and he's called us to be. And so wherever you are right now, this is your starting point. This is the X. You're standing on the edge of the river. You look back, the river has closed behind you, and you never move forward into the future. It's no retreat. It's forward. You take the momentum of where you've been and allow God to take that and move you into a future that he's created for you. How do you do that? Well, you remember what he's done. We celebrate Easter this week and remember the, we remember the love that Jesus showed for us. He paid a big price so you could be who you are. He went to a cross and he died and he went to a tomb. And he came out of that tomb. And we're going to talk about that rock moving next week. I know that surprises you, but we will. And all of that means, but he did that because he offers to us the opportunity to believe and trust and follow and become. We call it salvation. We call it a decision for Jesus. You call it whatever you want to call it, but it's a choice that you make with your head and your heart that that's the way that you're going to live your life and that's the way you move forward. And there's some this morning that need to do that, some that will watch this, some that are going to download this, that need to make that choice. And, And this is the best time of year to do it. I mean, if you missed it at Christmas, hey, do it at Easter. Because you're going to see faces in here next week that will come because it's Easter. And that's awesome. And I always tell folks, every Easter and every Christmas, you know, you're our CEOs, Christmas, Easter only. Love it. (laughs) Best time of year. Whatever it takes, get here. And hear it and live it. And allow it to change you. But there's others that you made the choice. But the thing is, you have allowed sometimes the memory of what was to stop you from living the life that's supposed to be. 
Because you're always focused on what happened before. What was wrong, not what was right. What was bad, not what was good. Or we do the other extreme where it was just so good then, it's so tough now. Well, life is tough. It's supposed to be tough. So it makes it life. It's the way it works. If it were easy, anybody could do it. And you wouldn't need God. And we never think about the fact that sometimes it's tough because we rely on Him more when it's tougher. So lean back into Him. Rely on Him. Allow Him to take you where you need to be and allow these things to become your personal rock collection of where you need to be and where you need to go. Now before I pray, I have a video I want to show you because I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to invite your neighbor to come to church next week. Let him be part of the CEO crowd.